everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of Practical EMS. Um, today's topic is going to be professionalism in emergency medicine and kind of an EMS in general. And I have a uh, very experienced paramedic, Ben Taylor, here. Um, he was recommended to me by quite a few different people that kind of found out what I was doing. And they said, this guy really cares about the crews and wants to, you know, motivate them and make sure they're happy in their careers. Um, so I started chatting with him and we have a lot of the same goals um, as far as interactions with crews and um, job satisfaction and... Um, you know, avoiding burnout and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to get him on here to talk about um, a good topic. Um, before we get into it, the usual disclaimer is this stuff's our opinions only. Um, it's unaffiliated with any organizations we work for, or have worked for, um, and it's definitely not medical advice, so don't take it as that. Um, before we watch the video, I'll have Ben kind of introduce himself, his background, his kind of credentials, and, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Never good at introducing myself. <laughs> um, my name is Ben. Uh, James Ben Taylor, pick one of the two first names. Um, I've been in EMS since 2012. I was a massage therapist for six years before that. Uh, in 2015, I got my paramedic license in Missouri. Uh, practiced in Missouri for a couple of years before coming out to the Colorado area. Um, and even further before that, I was into computers. And I, I always joke that professionally, I've just moved laterally and troubleshooting, it's just the subject matter has changed. <laughs> this professionalism in emergency medicine topic came up because there was a case in Illinois that a lot of you guys are probably familiar with um, that happened at the end of last year, and it's a pretty unfortunate case um, that ended up in the death of the patient. And I think there's some good lessons to be learned from it. We're not gonna get into the legal stuff at all. We're obviously not lawyers. Um, you know, They are charged with murder, um, so it's obviously a very serious case. Uh, but we're not going to talk about the legal stuff. We're going to kind of look at this from the perspective of a paramedic or EMT that could find themselves in a similar situation and kind of try to learn some lessons from this um, to avoid what happened to this crew and avoid getting into that mindset um, that this crew obviously was in uh, when they ran this call. Um, so we're going to go ahead and watch the body cam footage of it. You'll have it below to kind of watch with us. Um, I've watched it before, but Ben hasn't seen it yet, so we're going to kind of go through and and take a look at this uh, unfortunate case. Police. There's no one here with guns. Okay. He's hallucinating, he's having alcohol withdrawals. I don't want this problem here. I just moved into this house. Like, like I don't need this. Okay, My landlord lives across the street. He's having drunk hallucinations. He, he called you guys for no reason. Do you want us to talk to him? He's, he's, he's seeing stuff that's not there. Do you, do you think he's, he's a body cam. Yeah, yeah, so these are the cops initially. State got it. That's all, that's all they do. They're here now, ma'am. It's fine. What's, I mean, is he just drunk or is he He's high? He's alcohol withdrawal hallucinations. He was a severe alcoholic. He hasn't had alcohol in four days. He's going through It sounds like the patient called 911 initially, no, not his wife, who I'm assuming this is. Let's start with this. Do you know what uh, your name is? Can you give us that? Earl, what's your last name? What's going on with you, my man? These can always be difficult calls to figure out where things are going. Right. 
I can see how they would assume that he's just drunk. Um, but, you know, at the beginning, the wife or significant other saying he's an alcohol withdrawal, like super important information, you know. up on his bed and he just rolled up onto the floor after he's been slowly stripping off of his clothes. Earl. What's your birthday, man? I don't know if she's like run this guy multiple times. Like, I'm not sure why, like, from the get go, there's like just no compassion. Is she arm dragging him? Yeah, I think she tried to like just drag him into a sitting position there. Sit up. What is your birthday? When does that ever go well? Yeah. So let's, let's get up on your feet. No attempt at getting on the same eye level. I am seriously not in the mood for this dumb You can walk, come on. Let's stand up. No attempt to see on, if he's tachycardic. Yeah, I mean, no vitals and really like no HPI. You know, she didn't, at least not that we can see, didn't talk to the wife, yeah. didn't talk to the cops even to see what, what their information was initially. Well, one of the guys said three days driving. Yeah. Let's take Nope. So we got three days dry, sweating, sweating bullets, hallucinating. Come on, let's go. Help me up. Let's go. Come on, I don't know where her partner is. I assume he's like just been outside the whole time with the cop because we'll see him later. But yeah. I'm not really sure why he's not in with her and why the the cops have to carry this guy. Are you freaking kidding me, man? I know you can walk. Do you? So far, we haven't seen him walk at all this entire yeah. time. Yeah, all he has to do is walk out there. Come on, you called, you wanted the help, come on, get up. Man. A lot of this looks like they've decided what the call was before they walked in. Mm -hmm. they can't get to yeah, I mean, they've decided that he's drunk, has nothing going on, and... Oh, is the partner the one of the... I assume that's partner, yeah. Using the door for a second. Stand up. Stand up. All right, Earl, this is getting a little silly, man. There we go. So he's he's prone. And that's the big the big part, I think. So, yeah, that's, I mean, they obviously proned him at the end there. 
and um, he died of positional asphyxia, and I'm not sure if they even noticed any of this en route. I mean, there was no vital signs on scene, so I don't know if they were monitoring anything on the way in, but obviously, I mean, proning's been a big no-no for a long time, unless you got some foreign body sticking out of Forever. your back. Yeah. You know? um, especially with, I mean, the seatbelts on, you really can't breathe. So, I mean, obviously not good care there. Um, and a big part of the reason they're charged with murder is their affect on scene of clearly not caring, having no compassion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what are your initial thoughts on it? Uh, disappointment. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us joke about the, the game of guessing what the call is before you get there based on location, dispatch info, all of those things. And w the biggest trouble with that kind of game is that you have, you walk in with a predisposition of, well, this is what's going to go on instead mm -hmm. of blank slate, start up from a new, um, I've got a whole story that I tell and warn students about where I had a student that developed a whole treatment plan around what he thought was going on. Mm -hmm. like, just putting the net together behind him. Okay, it's time to time to tap out. We need right. to do this. Yeah, but, that anchoring bias can be a big problem. I mean, yeah. the call information is not necessarily what's going on, and you've got to reevaluate re from a fresh set of eyes when you arrive on scene. Um, I always like to say you, you got to leave it at the door, when your boots hit the ground, start from scratch. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot wanting on her her interview um, attempt. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we obviously don't see what she might have talked with the wife about. We don't see some of the other bits. Um, that's pretty lacking as far as trying to get information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the stuff I noticed too. Like, I mean, you know, the cops, the story they got is pretty concise from the significant other at the door. Yeah. He's hallucinating, he's in alcohol withdrawal. She kind of knows the problem. You know, he's been sober for several days. Um, you know, did this not get conveyed very well to EMS? Was Did they just think this was a, a drunk guy? Um, you know, but yeah, obviously poor ability to obtain any HPI when they got on scene and then no vital signs, which would probably have clued them in pretty quickly that this guy was sick. I mean, I would imagine he was super tachycardic, probably to Kipnik, um, and sweating bullets. I mean, that's a big red flag. This He's guy's not just drunk, right? I mean, diaphoresis should be a big red flag all the time. Multiple points on a, a CWA or, or whatever withdrawal scale you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget getting lightly burned on a ambulatory patient that was going through withdrawals and I thought they were kind of full of it mm -hmm. but I I got all the stuff and when the physician came in and was like hey we're gonna do some Ativan in this I was like whoa I I need to do some studying because that wasn't right this, this wasn't really on my radar mm -hmm. uh, but I don't really see any time where she like really looked at him to see Okay, does he have nice stagmas to uh, eliminate if he's currently inebriated? Does mm -hmm. he have fasciculations on the tongue? Yeah. The assessment is very lacking. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it, it could be an education piece. I don't know if, um, you know, what, I don't know if she was an EMT or paramedic. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, she just wasn't taught that alcohol withdrawal is a severe emergency and people can die from this and have seizures from this. And, 
you know, I don't know if that was really in her education or, or where the disconnect was. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the, the takeaway points that I kind of have from this are um, really how you conduct yourself on scene can lead to legal outcomes. And when you display really malice or neglect or lack of apathy, you know, that's a big deal. You know, if they had made every attempt to help this guy and carried him out and treated him with compassion, this might have gone a different way. Very much. I think the proning is going to be hard to argue either way, but if they had kept this guy supine, gotten an IV on him, started fluids, you know, what we're supposed to be doing for yeah. patients, this could have been a very different outcome, you know. And, and, you know, if he was really sick, they could have gone back emergent. They could have given him benzos. I mean, there's a lot of care that didn't happen that probably would have, you know, completely changed the outcome here. Um, and so I think it's it's important to be aware that, A, you're pretty much always on camera nowadays. You know, people yep. are filming you with their phones. Um, you know, people are allowed to do that pretty much everywhere, and there's really no stopping it. And so you really have to be aware of your affect and how you're presenting yourself, That's regardless gorgeous. of how you're feeling. You know, I don't know if they've been running calls all night or if they got woke up to run this call. Um, but you've got to be aware of how you're presenting yourself, and clearly, you know, they didn't present themselves very well. I was... Uh I'm trying to do a little bit of pre-study on, you know, I, I heard the uniform thing was mentioned in there. and it, You can't tell how cold it was that night by just the video. Um, it, it's hard to see exact details of how well they were or weren't put together. They obviously weren't in matching outerwear. Um, clothes are only part of the uniform, though. And it is that, that professional demeanor, that empathy that you're trying to offer people and there's not really a whole lot shown in that there's no mm. hey sir i i hear your name is earl earl what's going on this evening mm. uh, are you able to talk to me are you seeing things that are aren't there mm-hmm. um there's just kind of a whole lot of presumption going straight into this and then mm-hmm. kind of this aggressive non-compliance well this is what i'm going to do with a non-compliant person You can't let your frustration get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had calls in the past where, you know, I mean, we all deal with drunk patients that are difficult to deal with, but you'll never go wrong by actually treating them with respect. Because I feel like it it speaks more to who you are as a person when you treat someone that is belligerent and difficult to work with with respect, and then you're not going to make the mistake of treating someone that has a real medical problem, you know, with, with disrespect. True. You know, I had a partner one time that um, we were transporting an intoxicated homeless guy to detox at the time, and he was like falling asleep in the chair, and he sprayed him with a saline bullet right in his face. And I remember thinking, like, this guy, like that, it just says nothing about the patient. Like, the patient can be belligerent, whatever, but it really spoke volumes about that EMT because I was yeah. like, man, this guy doesn't respect this guy as just another human being. Like. Nope. Like, yeah, he's homeless, yeah, he's drunk, but he's still another human being. And I think if you don't get into this field to help other people, then you're, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Um, one argument I was reading through the comments on that, on this body cam footage, which you probably shouldn't do, but one person's like, well, if you, if you don't pay us well, you know, this is what you're going to get. And we were talking about this before where I, I don't think pay equates to how you treat patients. You know, people don't get into this for the money. You get into it to take care of patients. And so if you're not making adequate compensation, your patient care should not go down because of that. And we can argue for pay raises and they should happen, but you know, whatever you're being paid should not reflect on your patient care or you're in the job for the wrong reason, I think. 
I think I see where a lot of people start to take the uh, the drunks or disrespect for the patients for different things like that a little too much and then let it affect their work is where they're losing the objectivity of the situation and what they're trying to achieve for the patient and how they can help the patient where they have started to take the things personally and you just can't do that mm -hmm. you start to take it personally and that's going to erode on all of your your personal input into the, mm -hmm. the job absolutely um yeah i mean how you conduct thing. yourself on scene is like totally within your control i mean that's what paramedics and EMTs do. We go into a scene that's complete chaos and you have to rise above that. You don't sink to the level of the scene and start losing your mind and freaking out. You have to have that calm demeanor, you know, in spite of a bad environment or in spite of a belligerent patient. You can't sink to their level and that's that's what this job asks of us, you know. And always be listening. Mm -hmm. uh, so many of the good interview techniques and de-escalation techniques really base out of those good active and responsive kind of listening things mm -hmm. where you're you're trying to listen in for those little gems that the patient might give you or the little things that you can reflect back and they start to hear and they're like oh this person's actually listening to me mm -hmm. yeah no it's this mm -hmm. um thinking back on almost every patient that has turned aggressive or something it generally occurs somewhere where they don't believe they're feeling or don't believe they're being heard. Mm -hmm. And if you can just tap into that a lot, you will find your path to try to de-escalate yeah. some situations. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes. Yeah, and we've had those partners that are really good at it and the ones that are really bad at it. You know, the ones that are getting patients riled up every single time. And you're like, why are we getting so many combative people today? And it's usually their affect or how they're interacting with the patient. And then you've had the partners that are really good at it and you're they're able to de-escalate patients. They're calm and cool regardless of the situation. And, um, you know, that typically will come with experience, but sometimes sometimes it doesn't if you don't learn your lessons properly. Yeah, I, I actually take pride in how few people I sedate because yeah. I would rather talk them down and talk them in Absolutely. an ambulance if, if that's necessitated. Right. Um, this is very unfortunate. Yeah, I think some of the paramedic culture that I'm trying to reverse a little bit is this culture of writing patients off. Yeah. I feel like, at least when I was a new paramedic, it was kind of almost cool to act like she's acting on scene and be like, oh, you know, this is just a drunk guy, I'm gonna treat nope. him like this, and decide that he has nothing really going on. And, you know, even in your report to the ER staff, you know, it was kind of cool to say, ah, here's all the reasons why this is nothing, and. Um, but I really feel like after PA school and working in the ER, we start from the opposite side. Like we assume that this patient is critical until proven otherwise. You know, yeah. maybe the physical exam proves that they're not dying. Maybe we got to get a bunch of lab work and imaging to prove that. But we start from the opposite angle. And maybe it's because it's a little bit higher liability because we are definitive care. Um, but I feel like we kind of need to reverse that culture in EMS of, you know, Definitely. assuming the patient's not dying until proven otherwise, you know, and kind of working our way the opposite way. And and clearly on this case, they they did nothing to assess the patient to even, you know, validate the fact they thought this guy was just drunk. Maybe that's one of your differentials, and I think that's fine, but why do you think that? And they really had no evidence to assume he was just drunk. What objective information are you going to put in as far as, oh, he's... 
I, yeah. I uh, was exposed to and had AMLS in my paramedic school, and I'm very fortunate. I love AMLS because it does kind of keep that, okay, we're going to start at the worst and eliminate down to... What, what's AMLS? Uh, Advanced Medical Life Support. Oh, it okay. is a pre-hospital kind of uh, differential diagnoses. It's all about okay. the medical side of things. Okay. It's uh, kind of akin to uh, PHTLS. Um, okay. NREMT offers uh, PHTLS, and then the other side of that is AMLS. And it goes through, it, it is a snoozer of a class sometimes, but it's like head differentials, uh, cardiovascular differentials, abdominal differentials, and it's very. Um, methodical in going through your good history assessment, your good physical assessment, and saying, okay, with these findings, these are less likely and these are the most likely things yeah, that could be going on for this complaint or this issue. Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, it, it's all about differentials for EMS, medically oriented. And I one day want to teach the class, but I've been so busy with other things. Yeah, oh, that's um, pretty cool. But starting with that and really kind of like, okay, I need to think that everything is critical and come back and mm -hmm. these are my objective information as far as why I'm kind of stepping back on my working differential with the patient. Right. 